the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Um, Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue with today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program, rolling into hour two of our three-hour tour. We shift gears and talk about uh, a new book, um, What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship, co-authored by my guest this hour, Dr. Amelia Kelly and survivor Kendall Ann Combs. And... uh, uh, Amelia joins me by phone. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for having me. Um, in this, it's it's the book is described as as part um, part memoir. Can you explain how much is memoir and and how much is uh, uh, sort of answers to frequently asked questions? Sure. Um, it's quite unique, the structure. Each chapter, actually, you get a piece of memoir and a piece of self-help all together. So we follow the entire story, beginning, middle, and end of Kendall Ann Combs' experience with her abuser. And in the chapter, for instance, first one, it's the beginning of their relationship, the love bombing, the excitement. And then I follow up in that same chapter, the second half, with what was happening, and a synthesis of what to look out for. And then at the end, she responds with what she has learned from reading what I said. So you get almost like this kind of group therapy feel. Or <laughs> she, she, put it, <laughs> she put it once, I thought it was so brilliant. It's like the reader and, and myself are the viewers of what's happening on the TV or the show of what happened in her life. So it's kind of unique. When you... Um when you approach this material, how much of it is preventative and how much of it is about healing? So the thing of it is, is insight is always an excellent tool. So, I mean, when we know more, we can do differently. And so there's a lot of power in preventing abuse. However, the tactics used by abusers can be so insidious and and hard to detect and and gradual, that if you don't know, it's hard to prevent. So that's a big goal of our book, is to help others be able to prevent what had happened to her from happening to them. I was reading uh, some statistics um, that one in three women have been abused by an intimate partner sometime in their life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, emotional abuse breaks out almost equally for both 
males and females. Um, mm-hmm. Does does that mean one in three men, or is that a, there a different number for people specifically uh, dealing with emotional abuse? I think the way that you're looking at the statistic is pretty spot on. Essentially, what it's saying is that we can expect one in three women, so a third of women, unfortunately, to experience abuse. When you look at the same statistic when it comes to physical abuse for men, it's a little different, but with emotional abuse, it levels out. So you have just as many men, a third of men, who experience some form of emotional abuse, which that is a a huge thing that hopefully we'll talk about during this show today is the negative impact and how it can be just as harmful, if not more in some situations, as physical abuse. What what are the things that that we group together and consider emotional abuse. I think most of us have a pretty good idea of what physical abuse is, but emotional abuse can take a lot of different forms, can it? Very true. A lot of times with emotional abuse, there is a tactic to try to attain and sustain power. And so emotional abuse can look like what what many might think of, such as name-calling or put-downs, that's commonly what one would think emotional abuse is, and that's true. But it can also be the absence of speech. So stonewalling or giving someone the cold shoulder, cutting them out, um, making someone feel less than, gaslighting, uh, tactics used. So with gaslighting would be a tactic used to try to make someone feel like they're crazy or make them question their reality, question the health of other relationships in their life. So anything that's intended to throw someone off as far as their sense of self, their sense of power and empowerment are going to be all forms of emotional abuse. I, I want, if, if you don't mind, uh, Amelia, I want to ask about gaslighting. Um, I hear that phrase often, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not really sure I could define it. <laughs> yeah, so it was originally, um, I guess, noted or popularized all the way back in the early 1900s in a play, ironically, that turned into a moving. Um, but I think the reason that it's become kind of a, a pop psych word as of late is because it's not just in romantic relationships. We can also look at politics, medicine, any time where there's someone that a person holds power over another, that is a format where gaslighting can and often is used. So that's why I think you're probably hearing it so much. The main part of gaslighting is that it is truly intended to, as I was saying, make someone think that their reality is not real, that they're crazy, that their emotions are not valid. Um, A good example could be if someone's in a romantic relationship, for instance, and they bring up an issue. You know, I, I don't like when you do A, B, or C. The gaslighter will never take responsibility or most likely not take responsibility. They have a very hard time accepting blame, and then they're going to somehow turn it around to make that person feel like it was their fault or that their emotions are invalid. That right there is a very common form of gaslighting. 
You know, I'm glad you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that it, it isn't always just in romantic relationships. And you mentioned, uh, you know, it could be in the world of politics. And we live at a time where, and, and I'm thinking, of course, uh, of, of the communications that go on on, on social media, but there, there is this, this great divide where people will say, almost in so many words, if you don't agree with me, you're a moron. Yes. That is, that is a very, yes, what you're saying is an excellent, very common example of gaslighting. But here's the thing to be mindful of, too, and why I think a very important term can become kind of overused or overpopularized. <laughs> Just because you don't like what someone has to say doesn't mean they're gaslighting you. So you have to look at the intention behind what they're saying as to whether or not it's gaslighting versus maybe they just have a different opinion. Well, and, and having different opinions is fine, but, but there's, there's an idea where um, that seems to be very prevalent that um, the, the idea that I have, unless you share the same ideas I do, um, you don't count. Your ideas are not valid. Right. And that that is something that commonly a gaslighter is trying to accomplish, is to get their victim, I would say, uh, to buy into their reality or to what they want and their goals. And so if you look at someone who is emotionally abusive, who is trying to convince their partner or even, you know, we were saying politics, convince a group of people, for instance, you know, maybe, maybe making a group of people feel like the goals that they want their politician to make are just completely unreasonable. And there's no reason that you should even be concerned about that. Um, that's going to be their goal to alter their reality. So you're going to feel a great deal of minimizing from a gaslighter. This is, uh, Fascinating, and and I think the reason that we're hearing about gaslighting um, so much more now is because of this um, political environment that we live in, and it's not just political; it's social as well. Um, mm -hmm. This this idea that there's this huge divide in the country, and and um, as George W. Bush said a few years ago. Uh, you're either with us or against us, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and that seems to be kind of the mindset for an awful lot of people. How did that come to be so prevalent? Is it the advent of, of social media, for example, and, and the proliferation of, of cable uh, news channels and information channels and so on? I think it certainly creates a supply. It creates a supply of information that's very marginalized. I, I guess what I'm asking is, were those, were those differences, those divides always there, but we notice them more because there's so much more interaction now? So if you look at, I guess a good example of where you could find some statistics to support this idea would be, there's some flow charts that show the swing between conservative versus liberal in, for instance, our House of Representatives. 
And there's kind of always been a swing where it, you know, it'll go a bit more conservative, a bit more liberal, but there's been a, it hasn't been so dichotomous in the past. Um, as of late, probably around the advent of social media where there's this hyper supply of information or also, I don't want to say misinformation, but um, funneled information where if you watch the same thing on one channel as you do on another, you're going to get a completely different version of the same situation. You know, I, Fox News versus CNN, for example, you know, you might get completely different news reports about the same event. Oh, I, I, I do that. I bounce back and forth and look at, at different uh, different channels, CNN and MSNBC and Fox and, and so on. And what I find interesting is sometimes they're not even covering the same stories. Oh, it's absolutely. You're spot on. <laughs> you know, it used to be a big event would happen and everybody would cover it and they would cover it slightly differently. But it's almost as if uh, these these bubbles exist uh, completely separate from each other and, and they have their own list of what's important to them. Well, and you know, when you mention those different channels as well as we're talking about that, something that I notice when I can detect if the report is gaslighting their viewer versus informing, and this is an important thing to look out for if you're in a romantic relationship and you feel like you're being gaslit or even a family relationship, is are you being given facts? Is the person supplying actual factual experiences and events to back up what they're saying if if instead what they're giving you is a whole lot of emotion accusation or deflection that's more gaslighting versus if you say you know i feel like you're gaslighting me and the person says well actually on tuesday if you remember i said you know and the person is really giving you some some solid uh, backing to what they're saying, that's a good sign that maybe you're just in a conflict versus the person gaslighting you. Yeah, maybe it's a legitimate disagreement. Exactly. Which yeah. do exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, Amelia, I have to take a, uh, a break here in about a minute, but I would like to talk some more. Can you stick around for a few minutes? Absolutely. All right, great. Um, my guest is uh, Dr. Amelia Kelly, and she is co-author of the new book, What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship. And we're going to get into more of uh, some of those things uh, when we return. If you're listening to us on WFOV, Our Voices Radio, 92.1 LPFM in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at Tom Sumner Program, we have some messages as well. And uh, don't forget, this is going to be uh, this is uh, Thursday, but it's going to feel like a Friday show because we have a musical guest in the third half of our three-hour tour that's coming up uh, at 11 o'clock. We're going to talk with the legendary Frida Payne. She has a new book called Band of Gold, and we'll have more of uh, more of that straight ahead. Brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Mm-hmm. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about uh, a new book that is uh, part memoir and part self-help book called What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship, co-authored by uh, my guest this hour, uh, Dr. Amelia Kelly. Uh, Amelia, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no worries. It was very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. Um, now, during the last segment, we talked a little bit about the difference between um, well, physical trauma and emotional trauma. But one of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about is is you talk in the book about negative self-talk. What mm-hmm. is the difference between negative self-talk and self-deprecation? So self-deprecation would be what you are doing when you're engaging in negative self-talk. So negative self-talk is, uh, is a way in which to deprecate yourself um, or make yourself feel less than. Yeah, and, but we always, you know, hear about self-deprecating humor being sort of a, a disarming, charming sort of way to communicate with others. But um, are, are we chipping away at our self-esteem when we do that, even for entertainment purposes? You know, I don't think so, because it's, again, a lot about intention. You know, if one of the ways to reduce shame and to increase self-esteem is actually to be able to laugh at yourself. And when you stop being able to laugh at yourself or with yourself and you take yourself too seriously, that can be really detrimental to just how good you feel and your self-esteem. So, you know, I think when someone says self-deprecating humor, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a descriptor for the type of humor that's being used. It doesn't necessarily mean that the person feels that deprecation when they do that, though, because they're the ones making the joke. <laughs> and they're the ones empowering themselves by bringing up something that they find hilarious about themselves or their world around them. So when, um, when people are... Uh talking badly about themselves what's what's really going on there is it just a I don't mean just but is it simply a um, lack of self-esteem it can happen as a result of many things you know so a lack of self-esteem could be one of them but where did that come from you know that's going to originate it can originate way back for some folks you know how how were you taught to feel about yourself? Were you taught as a child to speak up, to disagree, to empower? Um, did you feel like you had a voice? Did you feel like you were validated? You know, one of the things that I have to help a lot of my clients with is reparenting, where they kind of provide themselves the things that they didn't receive when they were younger that they needed. And sometimes that can be something like unconditional positive regard. And that's, that doesn't mean everyone gets a trophy, but that does mean when you show your parent a uh, you know, piece of artwork you did in art class as a second grader, 
you want them to say great job. You don't want them to criticize you or to ignore it. Um, you know, I bring up the, the childhood aspect because it can be where that originates for many folks, but it can also happen as a result of constant negative feedback, stonewalling, or emotional abuse within a relationship. So you can have someone who has a pretty intact self-esteem and feels like they know themselves. And if a person lures you in with love bombing, for instance, putting their best foot forward, gets you hooked, fall, you fall in love with this person, and then they start to degrade you, that can be a huge hit to your self-esteem. And, you know, just to, to mention one thing about the difference between self-deprecating humor versus negative self-talk, negative self-talk is often very secretive. Um, it can happen on a, almost like a treadmill within your mind, and it can start dictating how you interact, uh, whether or not you feel that people are judging you, and it can translate outwardly in the way you talk about yourself, but it's usually in a way that increases this feeling of negativity versus with humor, as you were mentioning, that kind of creates a vehicle to do something with that negativity that brings joy or laughter to you or others. How does one go about retraining the voice in our head? You know, I had a client yesterday that told me the most fascinating thing that she did, and I loved it, and I'm going to share it because it was such a cool idea. Um, you know, she's had a lot of negative self-talk. Uh, she lost her mother at a very young age, so she didn't get that positive reinforcement, and she's a new mom. And we've been working on feeling like she's worth taking care of, feeling like she can do the self-care things that she deserves as a human being. And so she told me that she texted herself. She texted herself all the things that she was feeling insecure about with regard to setting up this hair appointment, which might seem like nothing for some people, but she hasn't gone in four years to get her hair cut by a professional. And so she texted herself, um, you know, I'm worried that they're going to criticize me. I'm worried that I'm taking too much time away from my kids. Should I spend the money? And, and then she received to herself as a loving friend it was I just loved that it like gave me goosebumps when she told me about it and so she gave herself a pep talk through the text message um, I just thought that was ingenious so that's kind of a, a real-life example of starting to think the way that you talk to yourself would you talk to a friend like that and if you wouldn't how would you rather support or empathize for another person. So you almost have to take yourself out of the equation and start listening to the fact that what you're saying, you would never say to anyone else. Well, yeah, because that, that bumps up against that, that idea that we're good at giving advice, but not taking our own advice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that that is a really uh, a really cool way to do it. What are some other ways that we might uh, recalibrate the the voice in our head? And and I and I promise, Amelia, I just have the one. <laughs> just one voice. Just just the one. <laughs> well, you, you know, some parts of psychology would differ with that and say that we have many parts. Uh, there's a style of psychology 
developed by Richard Schwartz called Internal Family Systems that talks about the brain and our, our psyche as parts. And so we have the self, and then we have all these parts, like the worker part, the insecure part, the child part. And the reason I bring this up is I think it's a really excellent way to combat the negative self-talk voice. So I just want you and listeners to know that your negative self-talk voice is not the entirety of who you are. It's just a part of who you are. So when that voice comes up, imagine talking with it. Imagine if you were, you know, like I was saying, a compassionate friend and asking that voice, hey, what do you need? Why are you, why are you being so negative? What's going on? There's some really great ways to slow down and be mindful and engage with this voice, you know, things like journaling, but you can be creative with it. You can have a conversation with that voice, you know. Um, one intervention I do with people who have a hard time with their insecurity, maybe it started way back, is use your dominant hand as you now. Use your non-dominant hand as the child part. So the non-dominant hand, I'm, I'm right-handed, so I would use my left hand. It feels very insecure and weird when you do it, but that's the point. And you start writing all the things you feel insecure about, what you're struggling with, and then you use your dominant hand to respond. So you can almost have like this dialogue or therapy session with yourself. It's really unique. So it becomes, in a way, like um, your your present day self <laughs> going back and telling your younger self or giving your younger self advice or answers to questions. Yes, yes. It can be incredibly eye-opening and therapeutic. Um, you know, another thing, too, is just that awareness. So if you find that you get into a negative feedback loop in your own mind and you don't happen to have a journal to break out, <laughs> um, recognize, oh, there's negative self-talk part. There they are. That's, I, I'm recognizing that's what's happening. What would be the counteraction? You know, what, what's kind of the opposite action to what negative self-talk voice is trying to tell you to do? What's the best way for... Um for an individual, male or female, to um, set limits to, to what they're willing to put up with in terms of abuse before they will just step back from it? I love that question because that is something I champion for a lot, and it's be disagreeable. <laughs> and it doesn't mean, you know, and it doesn't mean be a jerk. But it means set your boundaries early on. Um, <clears throat> I tell the story sometimes about when I first met my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, and I said, this is maybe a week into us dating. I said in a very compassionate way, hey, you know, my friends are really important to me. I like to be able to go and do things with my girlfriends at the drop of a hat. I'm not going to do it all the time, but... If that bothers you, if you're someone who would feel really jealous by that, then I'm probably not the girl for you. And he said, no, that's fine. And his actions followed suit. He's always been supportive if I want to do something social with a friend, whether or not he's included. So I set that stage really early on saying, hey, this is important to me. You have the right not to be comfortable with that. Just let me know now. Is that, um, is it different for 
every individual, or is is that something that we could all benefit from? Every single person can benefit from that. You know, setting your boundaries early on is the most honest way to create that foundation. You know, the last thing you want is to be an emotional chameleon where you just shift and try to be what you think the other person wants you to be because who are they going to fall in love with? Are they going to fall in love with you or a version of you that is impossible to sustain? You know, I had a client a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now actually, who was really upset because she kept feeling rejected. There were a lot of people that she had been dating on online sites, and they just kept, as people would say, ghosting her. And I pointed out, they're not rejecting you. You're actually the one rejecting them because she was very early on saying what she wanted, what she didn't want. She was kind of calling their number really up front. And so obviously these relationships were not panning out. Well, fast forward now, and she has fallen in love with, the most high quality man she's ever been with her whole life because she was willing to set those boundaries and be emotionally individuated early on. How can we um, avoid misleading other people by simply trying to, to put, quote, our best foot forward? Well, you know, that is part of love bombing, which love bombing is not, it's not always negative. I mean, it's, it's, going to be well, in and every... it might not always be intentional <clears throat> you know you try, to, mean... you try to make a good impression on somebody and and then uh you know when things settle down and you're you're in a relationship then all of a sudden you become a couch potato right <laughs> i mean that and that is the thing is that of course we're going to want to put our best foot forward and impress someone we don't know them well enough in the beginning and I think the difference is, are you trying to be the best version of yourself or are you trying to let go and change who you are to see if they'll like that version? That's when it gets a little bit... It's interesting when you say be the best version of yourself as opposed to a better version of yourself. And, and I think that's where sometimes we get into sort of acting like someone else. You know, I wish I was more like this, so I'll be more like this to make a good impression. Um, how, do we, uh, how do we get ourselves and remind ourselves uh, to, to just simply be the best version of who we already are and be our true selves. I had, I had a, a program director at a radio station many years ago tell me, don't don't try and be a boss, John. Just be yourself, but more. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I yeah, did too. So, I've never forgotten. Yeah, that's really, really insightful. Um, I think one of the things that's important is not to cut people out, like your other friends and family, people who know and love you already, Allow them to be part of the beginning of your relationship. I I think, unfortunately, you know, sometimes people can cut those out in their life. So you don't get that reality check or that touchstone of who you are and what makes you who you are. Um, So, of course, we want to spend all the time we can with a new love interest. But when you can get other people's opinions or kind of have them as as a baseline, that can be really helpful. 
Interesting. Um, how did you get the idea to team up with your uh, with your co-author? Um, shoot, I just just <laughs> Kendall Ann. Yeah, I I just I I had her name right in front of me, Kendall Ann Combs. Um, I, yeah, I, I just I was looking at the wrong sheet or something. And oh, I, no I worries. Find her <laughs> name, but how did you and um, Carol Ann decide, or Kendall Ann rather, um, decide to do this project together? So she has a podcast, uh, High Heels and Heartache, where she speaks with experts in the field related to domestic violence, abuse, survival, and I had been on her podcast a number of times, and it, this was before COVID, so I actually went to her studio, um, and I was Those leaving were the one days. day, <laughs> I know, we were in person, and I was leaving one day, and I actually turned to her and said, you know, you do so many interesting episodes, have you ever thought of writing a book about what you're learning, and it was kind of this serendipitous light bulb moment where we both thought, yeah, let's do that. Um, but the thing is, is what we originally thought we were going to do turn into what I think is something much more meaningful because I didn't know she was going to allow herself to be so vulnerable and so wide open to share her whole story. And so we sprinkle in the things that she's learned through the episodes in my analyzations of what she went through but that's kind of where it was born from. And there is no book out there like ours. And I can confidently say that. And so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a great idea. And I'm always amazed when people are willing to really share, you know, the, the, the real ugly part of <laughs> the things they've experienced because so many mm -hmm. people just they want to tuck those things away and pretend like they never happened yeah i mean she's always been very open on her podcast but she definitely dove deeper and much more courageously and i know as we were writing there were certain chapters where because we did it like a conversation she would write her section she would send it to me then i would write my response send it to her so it was a constant conversation back and forth and um, there were a couple chapters where after she wrote it, she would say, hey, you know, I need like a couple, I need a week or two break because that one was really cathartic and that was a lot. So it was, it was a process for her certainly and a process of learning for me and kind of figuring out how to be with her through such a deep uh, expression of what she had went through. Now, as a, as a practitioner, I, I would think you would want in in a book of this nature to try to cover as many different examples of things that can happen as possible so that mm -hmm. you know readers can find themselves in it is 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 that at all thwarted by basing it on one person's life and experiences or uh, did did Kendall Ann just run the gamut? <laughs> well, she she kind of ran the gambit. When you when you read her story, she experiences pretty much almost every area of abuse. Unfortunately, found in the power of control wheel, uh, which we explore in the book. 
Um, Is there now something about some people that are drawn to abuse? They attract abuse in some way? So, you know, we do explore, and how I was saying, be, be disagreeable. Um, she did mention in the book and explore how she had been a people pleaser at one point in her life, and that probably created more of a, a platform for this horrible situation to happen to her. Uh, so now she's very much a champion and uh, an individual and expresses herself on her own accord at this point in her life. She's learned a lot. Um, so anything that wasn't covered in her specific story, we make sure to outline. And we also say at the very beginning of the story, I mean, some of this may translate directly to your experience and some of it may not touch on it because every story is so unique. Um, but the book is not really just intended for survivors. I, as a clinician, wish I had had a book like this to help me understand how to work with survivors. I've also had feedback from people who have loved ones who are in abusive relationships and they feel like their hands are tied and they don't know what to do. Uh, it's an excellent book to help someone support another person who's going through abuse. Um, I cannot believe, Amelia, how fast the time has gone. We just have a couple of minutes <laughs> left. And I always want guests to have an opportunity to share with listeners where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book is a great place to start. It's called What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship co-authored by uh, Dr. Amelia Kelly, my guest this hour, and survivor Kendall Ann Combs, who is uh, also the um, uh, host of, of her own podcast, High Heels and Heartache. I love that name. Uh, mm -hmm. But, um, Amelia, do you have a, a website where people might be able to find out more about you and your work past present and future uh, that you'd like to share absolutely so my website is ameliakelly.com and kelly is with an ey i always like to <laughs> point that out and i'm also on instagram at dr amelia kelly and facebook at dr amelia kelly and on there i try to offer q and a's meditations um, people can reach out if they have any questions and, you know, just kind of ways to empower and thrive. Uh, so that's what those platforms are for, and I'd love for people to join me on there. Well, I can't believe how fast the time has gone, and I appreciate you spending this time with me and the listeners this morning, and also, you know, your your uh, work with the book and, and your ongoing work with uh, the, the people that you help. And uh, I, I guess just thank you and keep up the good work. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope you have a great rest of your day. All right. Take care. You too. And with that, we're going to take a short break. Let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Don't forget, coming up at the top of the hour, it's a musical guest. It's going to feel like Friday. And I, I realize it's Thursday, but we'll pretend it's Friday Eve, and we're going to, uh, we're going to be uh, visiting with... Um, music legend Frida Payne coming up in uh, just a little bit. But don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Lots more straight ahead.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I said no, I didn't no, want to take it. No, sometimes you're not supposed to say no. Well, sometimes a fellow doesn't feel like taking it, he just stands right up and says no. I didn't want to. I didn't Tommy. know it upset you this much. I just don't well, want to take what it. Look to the song. Too no. bad you caught me on an off night like that. I just don't want to take it Tommy, when a fellow stands up and says. Tommy, folk singers always take it. I just, I. You know that? You haven't even read the folk singers' guidebook. You, oh, you haven't even read the folk singers' credo. You, you don't know what it is to be a folk singer. Oh. You're a big phony. You? Oh, yeah? Yeah. Tell me, have you read the folk singer's credo? Yeah, well, Are you a folk singer? Yes, I are. Okay. Then you've read the guidebook, right? And you've read the credo. Remember when you got your guitar, it came with a book? Came with a book and an Arthur Godfrey chord changer. Yeah, I read Mom read it to me. Yeah, okay. What does the folk credo say? It says, all folk singers are obligated... To do what? Dickie, I didn't Obligated know. Obligated to do what? I, I, I don't remember what it, what it said there. Say the whole credo. Come on. All folk singers are obligated to take it. That's right. He said to take it. If you feel like it. If you no, don't feel like it. No, it doesn't say if you feel like it. It says all folk singers are obligated to take it without hesitation, without thinking. They're to take it like a reflex. You take it, Tom. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, well, so when know. I say take it, I want to see you hop to it all the time, every time. Dickie the dictator. Boil that cabbage down. Take it, Tom. Boom, 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 all the time. <laughs> Hundreds of years ago, the railroad started in America. Rugged men of yesteryear went on the vast wilderness of early America with a great dream in their minds, and vision in their eyes, and big nine-pound hammers clasped in their hands. These were men of yesteryear building a vast 
railroad, a vast spiderweb of steel rails spanning across the width and breadth of the country, toiling and inching their way under the, under the lucky old sun. <laughs> they inch and toil their way across the vast bosom of America. <laughs> I'll throw a little sex in the show. All right, all right. But this wasn't just a fun job. You're a real garbage mouth, you know that? You're talking about history, remember? Well, there was, there, these railroad men, it wasn't fun. They faced dangers. These men of yesterday, where they went, there lurked dangers. Some of the railroad men, they'd be working in the mountains, and in the mountains, there's a lot of a lot of dangers lurking in the mountains. These railroad men sometimes would stop at like at night when they were resting. Sometimes there's more the nervous some of the nervous railroad men, they'd jump out of bed in the middle of the night, they'd say, Hey, I saw a danger lurk. Well, what kind of dangers? There was dangers lurking in the mountains and they had to build the railroads across raging deserts and blazing rivers and across the plains of America and there lurked dangers. Tommy. Raging deserts and blazing rivers. They were tough, man, to get across those. Yeah, I think so. And these real men, to make it even worse, they, they were fearless men. They had to build railroads. Wait till you hear this. They had to build railroads across crevices. Deep crevices in the ground. These real men had to span these crevices with big railroad pretzels. And in the bottom of these crevices, Oftentimes, in the bottom of these crevices, there lurked pumas. Vicious pu That's right. Pumas with claws and that's foam wrong. coming out of these there pumas' any, mouths. Tommy, that's wrong. And there, they have bad were... breath, too. There weren't any pumas down there. There was the pumas, and oh, these rare men, they'd say, Wow, look at those pumas down Let's there in the well, crevice. Yeah, there, there weren't any hey, pumas. Hey, I don't want to build a railroad across this crevice. I don't care what you say. There's pumas in them. Tommy. For crying out loud, there were no pumas in the there, crevices. There, there wasn't was, even one puma in one crevice. There, there was, there there was, was not. <laughs> there was three pumas in the crevice. Mama puma and papa puma and baby. baby puma. <laughs> Who's been sleeping in my crevice? Tommy, <laughs> right, do you want me to tell you why there were no pumas in the crevices? There was pumas. You want me to tell you why? There, the reason there weren't any, we don't have any pumas in this country. The, you see, there are no pumas in America. We, we accept everybody in America, Dickie. That's right, we do. But do you want to keep your story truthful, yes, historically I, correct? Yes, I do. And get rid of the pumas right now. I'm not going down that crevice. Well, there was these vicious beasts in these crevices, and these railroad men were sore afraid. And these women come up to these crevices, they say, Wow, look at those vicious beasts in the crevices! <laughs> sure smell like pumas. Hey, cut that out. But they weren't. But they weren't. And these railroad men were sore afraid. Yet the railroads were completed. Yes, Americans. We can look back with pride on the historical archises of American history where these men of yesteryear completed this giant task, the transcontinental railroads. It took a Herculean effort on the part of these men, but the task was completed. And, and you're probably saying, you probably wonder, when since this song coming? 
maybe. Well, a big feast transpired and a sole substance for this feast, for these ravenous railroad men of yesteryear in this big feast, the sole substance was hotcakes boiled in cabbage juice. Big giant uh, pancakes um, boiled in a pot of uh, cabbage juice for several hours. <laughs> then they'd eat it. <laughs> Hotcakes and cabbage juice, those guys all think it's swell. But every time I eat the stuff, I always feel like bleh. Oh, boil that cabbage down, boy, turn that old cake round. The only song I ever did sing is boil that cabbage down. Working on the railroad, working all day long. Take it. When someone says, take it, you're supposed to take it. I suppose you've read the folk singer Credo, you shut your mouth off about it enough, and then when I say, take it, you didn't take it. When someone says, take it, you're supposed I'm, to take I'm it. Are you a sorry. folk singer? I'm very sorry. Don't get belligerent. I, why didn't you take it? When someone I'm not says, trying to get belligerent because you were absolutely right. You stood Boy, up. that really makes me angry when a guy doesn't take it. That's right, and it makes me angry, too. And I think anybody who doesn't take it should be severely chastised, Tommy. Because you were right. The way you said take it was in a true folk tradition. You stood up there on your own two feet and you said take it with authority. You knew what you were doing. You're a, a man who, who knows where he's going. That's the way you were. You said take it. And I didn't take it. I know that I didn't take it. I, I don't know what happened. I, I assumed, see, I assumed you were going to take it. Well, but you're supposed I know to... it. I'm supposed to take it. A folk singer should never assume anybody else is going to take it. And I should have, I should have known. I should have been alert. And I, and I wasn't. I... I guess my mind was just wandering, that's all, and I, I apologize for not taking it. Now, I assure you, I'll do my best to see that it, it never, ever happens again. Honestly. I'll let it go this time. Working on the railroad, working all day long, take it. Working, 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 working. Boil the cabbage down, boys, turn, turn, old cake round. The only song I ever did sing, boil the cabbage, boil the cabbage down, boy. Turn that old cake round. The only song I ever did sing is boil that cabbage down. another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. <laughs> 